Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Coming up first, prior to the recent midterm elections, I had a chance to speak with Michael Brown, a noted author and media host, who offered some perspective for Christians with regard to their electoral choices and explored various aspects regarding the current president. You'll be hearing from him coming up. And this podcast is being released on Veterans Day weekend. I shared a conversation recently with Ephraim Matos, a former Navy SEAL who is currently involved in volunteer humanitarian work. He shared with me about his experience in the Middle East and his work in aiding persecuted religious minorities. And Wednesday, November 7th, would have been the 100th birthday of the late Billy Graham. His grandson, Will Graham, joined me to reflect on his grandfather's life and to share about his new devotional book. And coming up on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, in the aftermath of the Pittsburgh tragedy in which 11 people died when a man opened fire in a synagogue, Jerry Pattengale of Indiana Wesleyan University and Museum of the Bible joined me to discuss how the Bible has been misapplied and people have done harm to others, which could have occurred in this recent act of violence. Plus, some amazing discoveries from former pastor and media host Joe Amaral, who highlights how God's story of salvation is spelled out through constellations. This is the intersection of production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Michael Brown is an author, commentator, columnist, and media host. He has provided insight regarding Christians' response to the presidency of Donald Trump, centered on the concept of showing appreciation for policies that are consistent with biblical principles and expressing concern for actions that he does, which are not particularly acceptable. Brown has written the book, Donald Trump is Not My Savior, an evangelical leader speaks his mind about the man he supports as president. From a pre-election conversation, here is Michael Brown. So if we put aside issues of, say, the economy, and it seems that Donald Trump's doing a very good job on that, if we put aside even some of the international concerns and how is he doing with those things, whether we're, we're pro or con, let's say we put those aside for a moment and we drop our, our top five list of things that are of, of concern to us as evangelical Americans, as people of faith. Well, certainly life, pro-life, that's really, really major to us. And then uh, pro-family, the nature of family, what family is. And then religious liberties. And, and then for many of us, Israel is really important. So let's just say those four items. And then you say, okay, being nasty or not on tweets. Well, I, I don't like that he's nasty on tweets, but that doesn't really get on my list as far as the top items for, for the nation. Or, you know, treating his opponents with more civility. Well, I, I'd like that. I would love him to be a good role model. But that's not really on my list either. You know, appointing justices that will be constitutional conservatives that can protect our liberties and things like that, appointing them for, for the next generation, for the world our kids and grandkids uh, grow up in, that, that's big. That's major. So this really, this election really is about Donald Trump again. And, and here's what I think people need to recognize. Those who are a little reluctant to vote and those who don't like a lot of things about the president's personality, I encourage them to think about this. Think back to the Kavanaugh hearings. Think back to the tactics that were used against him. Think back to radical feminists marching in the street against the white male patriarchy that has to be overthrown. Think of them scratching on the doors of the congressional buildings. and I mean, almost looking demonized, these, these poor women that really need the Lord. Okay, is that the direction we want to go? B because 
as much as I don't put my trust in their political, a political party, and I'm a registered independent rather than Republican or Democrat for that very reason, if we have, say, a, a swing all the way over to the left, it's going to look like the Kavanaugh hearings just about every single day in Washington. So we need to get out and vote. We just need to put it in its proper context in our overall life and commission. When you look at what Christians had to say about Bill Clinton and his immorality and the fact that Christians were very outspoken about Clinton's actions but seem a bit more willing to forgive Trump's past actions. Do you see that as hypocrisy? Uh, In many ways, it seems hypocritical. We were the ones shouting character matters. We were the ones shouting this is about integrity. Now we're the ones shouting, hey, we're electing a president, not a pastor. There is hypocrisy if we try to make him into St. Donald. There is hypocrisy if we look the other way when he does things that, that are offensive or abusive. It's not hypocrisy if we say, look, we don't like these things either. And President Trump's not proud of them either. He, he says there are things in his past he's not proud of. He's not flaunting them now. And when he does something we differ with, we say, I wish you wouldn't do that. Boy, Mr. President, we wish you wouldn't be so nasty and call a former employee a dog or call a media guy Psycho Joe. We, we wish you wouldn't get in the gutter. But on the larger issues that we're fighting for, you're doing a great job and we're standing with you. Here, let me give you an analogy. You've got some pit bulls that have rabies. They're on the loose in your neighborhood. They're, they're biting children in the elementary school playgrounds. Kids are getting sick. Kids are dying. And you need a dog catcher in your community. One of them is running for dog catcher. He is the nicest guy in the world. His family loves him. His kids revere him. But he can't catch a fly with a nuclear arsenal. The other guy, mean-spirited, nasty, his ex-wives hate him. He uses profanity all the time. But this guy can catch a, a, a lion with his own teeth. That's the guy that you hire as the dog catcher. So that's the situation we're in today. And, and one of the points I make towards the end of my book is one – God uses unlikely people, like Donald Trump. And two, character does matter. In other words, there is collateral damage because we have a divine wrecking ball, a divinely appointed wrecking ball in the White House. So he's great for taking on the, the, the deep state, whatever that is. He's great for draining the political swamp. He's great for facing down some crazed dictator in North Korea and saying, you're crazy, I'm crazier. He's great for that, but the wrecking ball swings both ways and it does some damage. As long as we can be honest about our differences, then the charges of hypocrisy do not stand. Michael Brown here on The Intersection. You can learn more through the website askdrbrown.org. Well, I had a chance recently to talk with former Navy SEAL Ephraim Matos, co-author of the book City of Death, Humanitarian Warriors in the Battle of Mosul. He is founder and CEO of the Fireside Journal and East Asia Operations Manager for White Mountain Research, an arm of the Nazarene Fund. In our conversation, he discussed some of his experiences in the Middle East, including his humanitarian work. Here now is Ephraim Matos. What would you say mainly that you wanted to communicate through this book, City of Death? My biggest thing was I, I, it was several several things. One, as as I was involved in the fighting in Mosul, I realized it was incredibly historic. What we were witnessing, what we were what we were a part of, and I knew that if I didn't write the story, that history would forget what was happening there. And this was one of the most this was the most bloody urban battle the world has seen since World War II. Like this was a, it was a mm. slaughter. 
That's why that's thus the name of the book. So I wanted to record it for history, but more importantly, I wanted to talk about there's I wanted to talk about what I learned. I went from being a SEAL, a Navy SEAL sniper, to just being a civilian volunteer in a war zone, you know, acting as a combat medic. I, and I was not a medic, you know, during my time in the military. I'm not, I'm not a trained medic. And I saw slaughter and I saw destruction and I saw death on a scale that I didn't think was possible, in, you know, in our lifetimes. You think that stuff only happens in the past. You think that stuff only happened in World War II. Well, it, it, it happened just last year. And so what I, what I wanted, the message of the book, what I really wanted to get out there was how to give up the hatred of your enemy. And I know that that sounds, that sounds a bit off the wall, but that was one of the most important things. As I saw all these terrible things, I knew, I knew that if I came home and I didn't deal with what I saw and what happened out there, that I would get terrible PTSD. I knew that I would be extremely emotionally and mentally distraught and that it would affect me for the rest of my life. And so one of the things we talked about as a team out there, uh, most of the guys are very devout Christians. And so one of the things we talked about was, you know, Christ's words of greater love hath no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friend. And why is that important? Well, it's because when you go out there into battle and you're laying your life down for somebody else, you need to do it out of love because the Bible also says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord, right? And that doesn't mean that you can't go and exact justice. That doesn't mean you can't go and actually get revenge for something that happened. It simply means that the spirit of vengeance, the spirit of revenge is something that you as a human cannot harbor in your soul. It will eat you alive. It is, it's nothing more than a form of hatred that will destroy you. It's like an acid that will slowly eat away at you. And it poisons your life. It poisons your family's life when you come home. And it, and it destroys you. And so what we learned was how to... I learned how to not hate my enemy, and I learned how to, when I went into battle, I was doing it because I loved the people who were standing behind me, and it's not because I hated the people who were standing in front of me, and I refused to bring the hatred home with me, and I talk about that a little bit at the end of the book. It's, the book is not uber philosophical. I'm mo mostly talking about my experiences, but in the last chapter, I do talk about that, and I do talk about uh, PTSD and how I'm totally fine. Now, there's a, there's, a, there's a deep sadness there that will never go away. Right. You just see mm. these things, part of you, a part of you never comes home from these places. But I can still function. I still live a happy life. I sleep just fine. Um, I'm at peace. I have, no, I, I, don't, I have no anger. And it's because I gave up the hatred of my enemy. And that's what I want people to walk away with. Especially, and, that, and that applies to soldiers who've been to war. That applies to civilians who've never been to war but who have experienced trauma whether it's emotional or physical or abusive trauma of, of any kind as a child or as an adult, you can learn to give up the hatred of the person that did that to you. And you can learn to live a free life by giving up that spirit of revenge. But you can still seek justice. Ephraim Meadows here on The Intersection. You can find out more through his Twitter feed. It's at Ephraim, E-P-H-R-A-I-M, Matos, M-A-T-T-O-S. Next up on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Will Graham of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. He serves as executive director of the Billy Graham Training Center at the Cove in Asheville, North Carolina. His late grandfather's 100th birthday would have been Wednesday, November 7th. He shared reflections and discussed his book, Redeemed, Devotions for the Longing Soul. Here now from that conversation is Will Graham. This would have been you know, his 100th birthday, it's the way that we count it. 
And, um, you know, we, we were hoping to have a different type of celebration this year, to be honest. Um, and, um, you know, we've been, we had already been working on it, what that was going to look like. And, uh, but the God had different plans. Um, but, uh, you know, the family's doing well. We've been, um, you know, uh, as a family, you know, uh, they've, my granddaddy pretty much gave everything away. Uh, he gave it away to men, uh, to the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Um, but there's a few things he gave to his kids, and that was like uh, some of the personal items out of the home, like furniture and stuff like that. And uh, so the family's been working on, you know, getting all that squared away. Um, that was already really taken care of before my granddaddy passed away. But, you know, they've been getting that stuff. And uh, um, I've been up to the house, and I tell you, you know, my granddaddy's house is just not the same for the first time in my life. You know, when you're in the house, there's there's no life in it. There's there's zero. There's no life. There's no one alive in it. There's no furniture. There's nothing. It's just it's just it's just logs and wood and bricks and that, that's it. And it's just it's just kind of sad when I was looking in the windows at one time. I was like, man, there's just no life in the house anymore. For the first time in my life, 43 years, there's no life. And um, so that was a bit tough. Um, it, so it's been a roller coaster. I still get teary-eyed when I talk about my granddaddy, um, which doesn't bother me. I, I hope it doesn't bother other people, but even during this, I might tear up <laughs> and take my time talking about a few things, but we miss my granddaddy, and but we know we're going to see him again. So, But I appreciate everyone's prayers for us, that's for sure. Let's talk about this book. It's a devotional book called Redeemed Devotions for the Longing Soul. Tell me what inspired this, please. Well, this is... I knew one day I was going to be writing a book, and... Um, and so I knew that I would be. I got already kind of laid it on my heart, and uh, we've been kind of been fiddling with it, uh, you know, writing a chapter here, writing a chapter there. And, but we didn't have, we just didn't, to be honest, I had people contacting me all the time wanting to, um, you know, for me to write a book. And I just said, guys, God hasn't given me a piece about it right now. And matter of fact, uh, when I was mo- doing the movie, someone came up and approached me and said, "Well, I think you should write, a, you know, a book." And I was like, "No, God hasn't given me a piece about it." And I said that because that was always the answer God gave me. But this time, I just went back and, and talking with God, and God just, you know, I was like, "I'm surprised that it's not a no." God was like, "Now allowing me to do it." God gave me a sense of peace in doing it, and uh, you know, I, I felt that God wanted me to do it now. And so uh, that that kind of made me change gears, even though I had been kind of working on it for all, already, just waiting on God's timing. And this is before my you got to remember this is all before my granddaddy uh, passed away. So I actually had the some of the book written, but well beforehand. Uh, we once we got the green light from the publisher, all right, let's we're going to do this book. I had it all done and turned in before my granddaddy passed away. And then uh, in the midst of that. Uh, he passed away, so I had to go back and edit a few few stories. I had to put my granddaddy in past tense instead of present tense, um, which was, I say, tough. Not because it's a tough thing to do; it's just tough from a, an emotional thing because you're you're putting your granddaddy in, in past tense. It's not easy to do, and um, you know. So this, and so I just want this is a book that God's been speaking on my heart, and uh, the things that I've learned that God's taught me, and I wanted to pass it on to other people. And it comes out of Psalm 107, verse 9, uh, when God says he fills a longing soul with good things. And um, there's a lot of longing people out there, spiritually longing for things. And I want God to speak truth into their life. So this is not Will Graham speaking truth into their life. I can't do that. 
but I wanted God to speak truth and the things I've learned. So I hope it's just an overflow of what's happened in my life will um, overflow into them, uh, the, the reader that is, and uh, experience God's good things. And so um, I'm so grateful for this book. I appreciate HarperCollins giving me a chance to write. And uh, I'm looking forward to doing more. I don't know when that is. Um, is uh, I got some other projects I'm already working on, uh, trying to figure out how I want to put it in book format. Um, so, But I'm real excited about the, some of the other things I'm working on as well right now. That was Will Graham here on The Intersection. You can learn more about the association at billygram.org. The book is available through billygrambookstore.org. Well, this is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can learn more through meetinghouseonline.info. You'll find a link to the media center marked Meeting House On Demand, through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests on The Intersection Podcast. You can also subscribe to The Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. The Intersection is also available through the Faith Radio app. You can learn more when you visit the website faithradio.org. You can also access the Meeting House homepage in the programming section of that website. Also, when you visit the Meeting House homepage, you'll find links to two blogs. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. The other is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. You can also follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. And there is a link to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. More of The Intersection podcast now. Professor at Indiana Wesleyan University and Executive Director of Education for Museum of the Bible, Jerry Pattengale, registered comments relative to the errant beliefs about the Bible that influenced perhaps the alleged shooter in the Pittsburgh synagogue tragedy. He also shared material based on his book, Is the Bible at Fault? How the Bible has been misused to justify evil, suffering, and bizarre behavior. From that conversation, this is Jerry Pattengale. You know, early on in college, when I, I went to Indiana Wesley, and that's why I uh, came back here after um, uh, time in, in California at Azusa Pacific and in other roles I've had, and wanted to serve my alma mater. And one of the things, even as an undergrad, I remember as a new Christian, that I would see people doing things uh, during the Middle Ages and the books and so forth, and... I thought there needed to be an answer for that. And then in this case, Worthy, which uh, publishers, uh, Hachette Publishing now, uh, the editor there, Gina uh, Ledbetter, and the publisher, Byron uh, uh, Williamson, they had been looking for someone for a couple of years to actually take this book. And so I agreed to take it on with one condition. Uh, that is that I could add bizarre behavior to the subtitle. So, you know, the title is, Is the Bible at Fault? How the Bible has been misused to justify evil, suffering, and bizarre behavior. Because I felt like 12 chapters on the, um, you know, just 12 really dark chapters is just too much for one book, you know, for most readers. And quite frankly, as a writer, I I found some of these other stories uh, pretty engaging and new stories for people so that, Some of the things people do are absolutely terrible in the name of the Bible. Others are just bizarre. And I think it's okay for us to call them that. And, you know, to call something bizarre and certainly to call something unorthodox and definitely to call something evil. 
Well, and one of the disturbing occurrences here recently has to do with a man that walked into a synagogue in Pittsburgh and killed 11 people. In fact, I've got an article from the Christian Post up right now, which says that Robert Bowers, the name of this man, quoted from the Bible and talked about Jesus Christ online as part of this rhetoric against Jewish people. In fact, he allegedly wrote on a, a website called Gab that a particular organization likes to bring invaders in that kill our people. I can't sit by and watch my people get slaughtered. He then said, I'm going in. So is this, obviously here is someone that used the Bible to justify heinous acts against Jewish people. How does this even happen? Well, we, you know, when you go back to the Bible and you look at the story of um, at the Garden of Eden and you see from the beginning where uh, people chose uh, to sin and, uh, you know, through our sinful nature. Now, we would disagree with our Jewish friends on this. And I've written uh, three books with um, Jewish scholars uh, and so uh, leading Jewish scholars. And so I know we disagree on the fallen nature of human beings, but I will say that from the time that we have recorded history, we have people doing things in the name of religion, not just Christianity. In fact, in the book, uh, one of the chapters I have is on the Ku Klux Klan. And one of the things that uh, struck me in reading was that you may not know, Bob, but one of the premises they have for being anti-Semitic in their views comes from the Bible. They claim, now put your seatbelt on here, they claim that the story of Jonah on the uh, Jonah and the well is evidence that God hates Jews because even a, a, a large fish, a whale, couldn't stomach a Jew and had to spit, it, spit him out. And so when you see people misrepresenting the Bible that grossly, uh, then you can't expect anything but um, terrible results. I mean, that is such a, a an obvious mistranslation of that passage. It has nothing to do with that. And and so that's used, um, you know, to bring oppression for decades out of that movement. So uh, it's shocking. It, you know, Corey Tim Boom says we should never um, – He's being shocked by sin. That's one of our best defenses. And so uh, it should be shocking that this fellow did this in the synagogue, which is terrible. Uh, it's, what's not surprising is the misuse of Scripture to validate that. Jerry Pattengale here on The Intersection. He can be found online through the Indiana Wesleyan University website. It's indwes.edu. The museum site is museumofthebible.org. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection Podcast, it's Joe Amaral, author, former teaching pastor, and television host. He is founder of the Christian Research Group and discussed his book, Story in the Stars, Discovering God's Design and Plan for Our Universe. He highlighted his observations in the heavens that point to God as creator and to his redemption story. Here now is Joe Amaral. When we read it in Psalm 19, it says that the heavens, you know, they declare the glory of God. And most people stop at that part of the scripture, which is a shame, you know, because we say, oh, wow, what a beautiful sunrise or sunset. Wow, the heavens are declaring his glory. 
But, but if you take the verse and you go further, it says that, these, that the heavens, they do more than declare, they proclaim, they pour forth speech, they reveal knowledge. They, night after night, they're telling us knowledge about the glory of God. And so for me, the question was, well, what is the glory of God? Because whatever it is, that's what the heavens are declaring every night. And then when you go to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says that the sun, S-O-N, the sun is the radiance of God's glory. So Jesus is the glory of God. Therefore, the heavens are declaring Jesus, the sun and the glory of God. And that really put things into perspective for me. And then, you know, you begin to look at these images of, you know, the constellations. And, you know, it's called the zodiac, these 12 signs that go in a circular motion. I said, God, why tell us a story by putting pictures in the sky? And then it hit me. Well, it just makes sense, you know. When you go on an archaeological dig and you find a cave with ancient ruins and, and, and you know, information inside, seldom do you find writing, but most of the time you find pictures. And with three or four pictures, you can tell the story real quick. It's kind of like a comic strip. It's a comic strip. Three, four pictures, you know the story. And so you look at these 12 images, and as you go from Virgo all the way through to Leo, from his birth all the way through to his return, they coincide with events in the life of Jesus, his birth, his death, his resurrection. And I said, wow, God, you've literally put the story of salvation, the story of Christ in the stars, in the heavens, so that no matter who you are, no matter when you live, no matter where you live, all you have to do is look up and you can see the message of God's love literally written in the heavens. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. You know, there may have been some alarm bells go off a few minutes ago <laughs> as you mentioned the Z word. That the would Z be word, Zodiac. <laughs> and people, of course, when you think about astrology and attributing oh, yeah. some meaning to these constellations that could affect someone's life positively or negatively or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So the the zodiac for many Christians really does have a negative connotation, but you you mm-hmm. contend, or if I can put words into your mouth, that you you've basically taken something that has been corrupted and shown God's intent through these constellations in the heavens, it sounds like to me. You are welcome to put those words in my mouth, because <laughs> okay. that's absolutely right. Because uh, you, you nailed it. Uh, people use the Zodiac uh, to look at their own lives, negatively or positively, and that's not the intention of the constellations. God never created the stars to make signs in the sky to, to prophesy over your life. In fact, Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 2 is very specific, and it warns us from consulting or worshiping the stars, because God says, uh, you won't be raised up or buried. You'll be like dung on the ground. God is very, very much against uh, astrology. So we got to ask the question, okay, we use the word zodiac because it refers to the signs in the sky. Well, who created the signs in the sky, right? The signs are made up of stars. Well, who created the stars? God says, I created the stars. In Psalm 8.3, in Psalm 147.4, he says, I named them. I put them in their place. So if God is the one who creates the stars, then he's the one who creates the constellations or the zodiac. And even in Job chapter 38, verses 31 and 32, he says, can you bring forth the constellations? When he's talking to Job, he says, no, I'm the one who brings forth the constellations. And the word for constellations in Hebrew is the word matzeroth, and it's only used this one time ever in the Bible. And it literally means, if you go to the Strong's Concordance, the 12 signs of the zodiac. 
so God is the one who creates the signs, and the enemy, like you said, Bob, is the one who comes along and corrupts them, and he takes the focus off of the glory of God, and he puts them on ourselves. So what we're doing is we're, we're not reversing anything. We're simply going back to God's original intent to use the signs in the sky to lift up the name of Christ. Joe Amaral here on The Intersection. His website address is christianresearchgroup.com. We are nearing the end of another edition of the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. The website address, again, is meetinghouseonline.info. You'll find a link to the media center marked Meeting House On Demand. You can also subscribe to the Intersection through the homepage and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, each week. The Intersection Podcast is also available through the Faith Radio app. Learn more about downloading the app for your smartphone or tablet through faithradio.org. Also, you can reach the Meeting House homepage through the programming section at faithradio.org. On that homepage, there are links to two blogs. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. You can also follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. There's also a link to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or go to faithradio.org. This has been the Intersection Podcast. Thanks for joining me. I'm Bob Crittenden.